Authentic Living Today. That's our series. 1 Peter 4, verse 12, all the way to the end of the chapter, is our text this morning. Call to Suffering, part 2. And if you get the idea that this idea of being called to suffer is kind of a running theme, you're getting the idea. Steadfastness begets steadfastness is the title of today's message. Helen Keller once said, Doubts and mistrust are the mere panic of timid imagination, which the steadfast heart will conquer and the large mind transcends. I want to give you a visual up front, not behind the screen, but a visual that you can all relate to. There was a time in my life where I went through seven lung collapses and my strength just went down and down and down. Uh, Lung capacity was very difficult to maintain and it was told to me that I would never participate in any organized sports, I would never lift weights, all those kinds of things, and that all turned out to not be true. God's grace was upon me. But I want to give you this. I want to help you with something very practical. If you go through difficult times, you struggle with, uh, maybe you struggle with um, things that just weigh heavy on your mind, and it's very hard to just to think through getting through stuff in the daytime or even at nighttime when you're trying to sleep. As Christians, we go through hard things and we, we get this idea that people think that Christians are supposed to smile all the time. There's, a, there's kind of an unspoken thing that just flies around. It's, it's a theology that creeps into our churches and, it, and there's this idea that if you're not smiling all the time, then you're not genuine. And that's just completely a lie. If you can imagine for a moment, we just had communion, and some of us were imagining Jesus hanging on the cross. So if you can bring that back into your mind in a, in a visual, imagine Jesus hanging on the cross, and imagine, try to go back in time, do you think the whole time he was smiling? No. No, he went through a lot to give us God's wonderful grace. And what he had to endure was not something that you can smile through. And our lessons that were given in the letters of Peter clearly tell us you can't smile through it all. And a a visual I want to give you that I want you to, I think you can all relate to, um, I'm going to give you in a minute, but I want to give you a practical thing. So if you struggle, if you, if you get to a point where you're really struggling going through life, I want to give you a very um, a good thing that I give in counseling to people a whole lot. Uh, you hear people when, they, when you're going through something, somebody might say to somebody else, okay, don't forget to breathe. It's like, who does that? Who forgets to breathe? I mean, we don't just stop breathing. What they mean is take a deep breath, relax. That's what they mean. But I want to help you with something. Here's how you do it well. If you want to take a deep breath, if you want to capitalize on relaxing while you breathe, practice breathing all the way out slowly, pause at the very end, 
Hold it for as long as it's comfortable for you, and then take a deep breath in. Do that a few times. Breathe all the way out. Pause. And then breathe in. If you can learn to do that when you're going through a stressful moment and make that what you do while you pray, you can have some very special moments with God. And your body might respond well. And plus, it provides a very healthy distraction for your mind. You're focused on something else, and that is breathing. And it's very therapeutic. Here's the visual. It's like this. Many of you have lifted weights before. Many of you don't want to hear about lifting weights. That's okay. It's the analogy. There's a point. So when you lift weights, the way it works is you have a positive and a negative. So let's say this is the weight. The positive would be me lifting it like this. So it's causing resistance. I have to go against gravity to raise it up. The negative is when I go down. It's easier to do this than this. The positive, much harder. The negative, a whole lot easier. It's kind of like our attitudes, isn't it? A whole lot easier to be negative in our thinking, to be critical in our thinking, than to find the good in others and build them up. But that's not the analogy I'm trying to give you. The analogy I'm trying to give you is that this is what works for weightlifters who can't get stronger. You reach a plateau, and I can only lift this heavy of a Bible. I want to lift the Bible as heavy as Dan's. I can't lift Dan's. I want to lift Dan's Bible. My Bible's too light. I want to be able to lift his Bible. So I've got to work out, and, and I can't lift it. So one of the things weightlifters will do is they'll focus on that negative motion. In other words, they can't lift it. So they take Dan's Bible, hold it right here. I can hold it for, I can hold it for, I can hold, oh, that negative. Hold, focus on the negative. Try to hold it longer. Oh, and even though you can't lift it after workouts where you do these negatives, eventually you're going to be able to do the positive. This is what Peter is trying to tell us as we go through these letters. You've got to go through the negatives and the negatives in order to be ready to handle the heavy stuff that's coming. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. But you've got to go through the rigors of life to be strong enough to handle the really hard stuff that is coming. I know that doesn't sound real positive, but this is the nature of the letters. We're going to have some more we go through, but for today... This is our text. We begin with 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, I love the way he starts that. Peter is writing to people that are struggling, and it's like he's saying, people that I love, people that God loves, listen to me. So do that. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be shocked, Christians, who are loved by God. Don't be shocked when life comes hard and fast. You should expect this. Why? Why should we expect this? Well, let's just back up a little bit. There was a preacher that told me one time, a seasoned preacher. He was a preacher for 30-plus years when he told me this. He said that his main goal was to try to get people to like him. You realize that you will fail. If your main goal is to get 
people to like you, you're going to fail. Everyone's not going to like you. And some people aren't going to like you just because you're trying to be liked. That's the way it works. <laughs> I said to this preacher, well, um, Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. <laughs> uh, he said, no, it doesn't. No, he didn't. Well, yes, he did. So I gave him the scripture. Luke chapter 6, verse 26 is our next verse. Look at what it says. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for their fathers did to the false prophets. So their fathers did to the false prophets. So you see, when people are, when everybody's speaking well of you, you can bet some of that is fakeness. Don't even, don't even try to live in a world where everybody's going to speak well of you because that's a fantasy world. And if you stand up for something, then the devil, especially if you're standing up for God, the devil will attack. That's why Jesus said this. He said more in John chapter 15, one of my favorite chapters. He said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. The idea is, why do you think you're better than Jesus? You, look what Jesus went through. Why do you think? You, he, you're following him. You're his servant, and people killed him. You think you're going to have a great life? You're following a person that was rejected by the world. Don't think that everyone's going to accept you. They didn't accept the perfect person who walked this planet, the only perfect person. Everybody's not going to accept you. It's okay. You're in the same category as Jesus. If you're following him and you're getting rejected because you're following him, that's okay. You are not greater than your master. So expect it. It's the way it's going to be. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul took it uh, a little further. He said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's the way it's going to be. If you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Don't be confused. Persecution and difficulties are not the same thing. Now, persecution, sure, that's difficulties. Trials and persecutions, not the same thing, but certainly persecutions are a form of trials, but trials do not mean necessarily persecution. Persecution is the next layer. That's when people are attacking you for your faith. I mean, just because you're struggling to pay the bills does not mean you're getting persecuted. You understand? That's difficulties of life, but persecution, that's a... That's a much more difficult thing. People are attacking you because of your faith, and if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, that's going to happen. So, Peter says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. You've been warned. Don't be surprised. The next verse, 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice... Now, that's an interesting thing. Don't be surprised when these super hard trials come. But rejoice? That idea of laughter upon laughter? Really? As you share Christ's sufferings. Rejoice as you share his sufferings. 
that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Because through you, when you are suffering on, for the cause of Christ, Jesus is glorified. If you stand up under those difficulties and represent him well, he is glorified. There's all kinds of ways this plays out in life. Some of you have seen it, some of you have yet to see it, but you will if you remain faithful. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. doesn't feel like it at the time, but you are. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In some translations, not some translations, some earlier or later manuscripts that are less reliable say glory and power, and that's okay. That's what that footnote's there. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The idea is you will bring glory to God by his spirit. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Let's take these one at a time and then take them as a whole. First, let none of you suffer as a murderer. That's a pretty big thing. <laughs> you know, don't do a big wrong like murder. Don't, don't be suffering these trials because you're a murderer, because a murderer deserves the suffering. They've created a finality and removed someone from this earth outside of God's plan, and they must pay the penalty. This is not bringing glory to God if you murder somebody and you're suffering. You murdered somebody. Suffer the consequences. Or a thief. You took something from someone that wasn't yours. You should suffer the consequences. You're not bringing any glory to God for being a thief or an evildoer, any form of evil. That's a lump thing, comes, covers a lot of territory. How about this? Why did he choose to put meddler? I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you go from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, you will find that it's a big problem being a meddler. Somebody who gets involved in somebody's business when it's not their business. That's a problem. We've really muddied the waters in the church because we've got this idea that, well, if you tell the preacher, you know, his wife's going to know because they're married. And everybody that's married, they tell everything. There's no secrets when you're married. Let me, if, you have, if nobody's broken this to you, I'll, I'll make it clear. If the people that say things like this, at least where it starts, they typically, and a great, you don't need to. When you're married, don't be doing things you shouldn't be doing that undermine your marriage. You should be faithful. You promise that. Don't be sneaking around doing things that hurt your marriage. But if somebody comes to you and confides in you, think about this. If you come to me, say, hey, you know, I hear you do some counseling. Yeah, I'd just like to talk to you as a pastor. Okay. And you unload some things on me. You should never expect that Stephanie knows all this. As soon as you tell it to me, I'm going to tell it to her. No, I'm not. You confide in me, that stays with me. Have you not read Proverbs 11? <laughs> a friend keeps a secret. But someone that, an untrustworthy person, breaks a confidence. People that think that there should never be any secrets. Secrets are bad, bad, bad. They want your secrets so they can tell somebody else. 
Because they look better if they can badmouth you. People who want to know the secrets, when you say, no, I was told that in confidence, I cannot speak of that. Oh, come on, I'm not going to say anything. Oh, yes, they will. Because they're wanting you to. People that meddle in other people's business. We get this idea. We get this idea that, and I've talked about this before, that gossip is only gossip if it's not true. <laughs> gossip is gossip if it's not your business. Stay out of meddling. Anybody in here think they're perfect? We all make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. And God is so gracious, he forgives us. Sometimes we have to pay the penalty of our, our sins in front of other people because we sin in front of other people. Sometimes we need that open accountability, but sometimes he gives us grace and forgiveness, and not everybody needs to know our personal business. If we put the past in the past, let it stay in the past. We don't need to be meddling in other people's business. You may not like that, but you need to stop for a moment and talk to God. If you don't like, I don't, I don't like the idea of people keeping secrets from me. You might want to talk to God about that. I don't trust anybody who, is, who can't keep a confidence. They're not trustworthy. And you shouldn't trust a preacher who repeats things you tell him in confidence. I'll get off my soapbox. But there's a reason that God had it, Peter, inspired to say, you don't suffer as a meddler. It's bad. Don't be a meddler. Don't be any of those evildoer things. We'll move on. Verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. In what name? As a Christian. There's a trend. Have you heard the trend where Christians are saying, I'm not a Christian? Because what politically today, what they did, you know, in the White House, and they, 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 they attached Christianity to this, so that's not Christian. I'm not a Christian. I'm a Jesus follower. I'm not a Christian. Have you heard this? This is a trend today. Don't, don't, don't follow that. My Bible and your Bible clearly says, you see it up on the wall behind me and in the print right in your Bible. Let him glorify God in that name as a Christian. Be proud to be a Christian. Honor, and I know it was a derogatory name that was assigned to Christians in history, but God inspired people to say, embrace it. It's okay. Christian means Christ follower. Embrace it. It's who I am, and I'm proud of it, and you should be proud of it. Glorify God, suffering in the name of Christ as a Christian because it brings Jesus glory. Don't be ashamed of that. There's more. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. What does he mean? Look at this. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Oh, we know that. You don't bow down and worship him now. You'll be forced another day, and by then, it's too late. What does this mean, though? It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If you haven't figured this out, you should learn right now. We will be judged by how we live. 
not just by Jesus, the final judge, but by people who observe us. Show me your faith by what you do, James said, didn't he? I'll show you my faith by what I do. Yeah, not just by my words. Look at this. 1 Peter 4.18 says, And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, this is, a, this is an allusion to a passage in Proverbs 11.31. I'll give it to you. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? You see, that's what Peter's talking about. He's trying to get these Christians who know the Old Testament that they have at the time, that's their scripture, they know that you're going to have judgment here on earth. You will have consequences for your behaviors here on earth. People will judge you based on how they see you live in your life. Have you not heard the two biggest criticisms of the church? All they want is my money, and they're nothing but hypocrites. They judge us based on how they watch us behave. Yeah, I have a coworker. He goes to church. You wouldn't believe that guy. My neighbor. She goes to church. You ought to see what she does on the weekends, on Saturday nights, before she goes to church. People will judge us. Judgment's happening right now by the people who surround us here on earth. That's why Peter was alluding to this verse. People are watching, and the way you live is either bring, bringing glory to God or it is embarrassing Him. Do you ask Him that question every now and then? God, do you know that I love you? Do you know? Because you know the answer to that is He watches and He sees how you live. Does he know that you love him? Does he know that you love him in the kind of time that you, your screen time? Does God know you love him with what you do with your screen time? You know, on the phone, in front of the TV, and that includes video games, um, in front of the computer when no one else is around? Does God know you love him? Does God know... You love him and how you speak to your spouse. Does God know you love him and how you talk to your kids? Does God know you love him and how you talk about life to other people? Does God know you love him and how you speak to your brothers and sisters who are in this room? Does God know you love him and how you reach out to people that you haven't seen in a while? Does God know you love him by how you communicate with your former classmates that know you claim to be a Christian? Does God know you love him by how you interact with your neighbors? Does God know you love him and how you act in public? How you treat the cashier? How you treat the waiter or waitress? Does God know you love him? Ask him. God, can you tell? I say I love you. Can you tell? Does God know you love him by how much you talk to him? By how close you are, you know? Does God know you love him by how much you listen to him, by opening up your Bible on a regular basis? Does God know you love him? That's a legitimate question, isn't it? Ask him. If you dare, you'll know the answer about the time you ask. Jesus said this. Now, talking about how righteous are scarcely saved, look at this, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. This is on... 
Sermon on the Mount stuff here. Look at this. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let me make it clear. I think Scripture is clear, but I just want to give you the very visual that Jesus gave us in that passage. It's, an, it's a wide gate. Many enter through the wide gate that leads to destruction. Only few enter through the narrow gate that leads to life. The narrow gate, that's the one we're aiming for, right? Okay, we're aiming to go through the narrow gate and the narrow road. But I think it's okay to do this. You just widen that. Where does that go? Well, it's a little bit of this is okay. You just widened a narrow gate. You're going to a different place now. That road and that gate that's narrow, that leads to God's glory and pleasure, only few enter through that. But we try to include a few things. It's okay if I do this. It's okay if I do that. A little bit of this and a little bit of that. And you're widening the path. You're on the wrong path now. Wait a minute. Let's, let's flip it. Let's try it this way. Okay. I'm going to go through the narrow gate, but I'm going to do some things in my life that I know doesn't please the Lord. I mean, nobody's perfect. The preacher said it, didn't he? So I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to take on a few things I shouldn't be doing, but it's okay because nobody's perfect. So you're widening yourself. Guess what gate you can't fit through now? I don't care how you look at it. This is a perfect visual. It's a narrow gate, and only few of us are going to enter through it. And that determination, well, that's up to you. How you choose to live determines where you're headed. It's a choice. Free will. God gave us that because he loves us. He, wants to, he doesn't force us to follow his will. <laughs> Here's a... I wasn't planning on telling you any funny stories today, but every now and then I get in, I'm, I'm standing up here and I do something wrong. This is an illustration that nobody's perfect. Did anybody notice what I did? You notice? My Bible is completely upside down. When I was talking to you, I flipped it and I flipped it, and my Bible is upside down. Oh my goodness, the whole thing's printed upside down. My notes are, oh yeah, that's right. Here we go. We're back on track. Preacher's not perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. There's one of my many. You'll see more. All right. Now that we've paused, we're going to get back to it. 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Did you catch that caveat? God is so wise. He, he doesn't give us an out. He gives us all these inroads to the path that leads us to him. I love this. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, it's his will that we suffer, we stay in it if we live for him, because we're not sinning suffering, we're suffering because we're pleasing him, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. While you're discouraged, while you're practicing that breathing thing and trying to pray, but it's hard. Life is so hard sometimes. You never know. Sometimes everything's going well, and then all of a sudden you get blindsided. Could be on a Sunday afternoon, the middle of the night. Could be on the way home from church. Could be on the way here. Could be in the middle. Suddenly something happens. Maybe a phone call. Maybe something dawns on you that you got to change. And all of a sudden, like, ah. Oh, Life gets hard. It might be involving your family. It might be involving someone you've adopted as family. It might be involving a friend. 
church member. We certainly had our drama. But those who entrust our souls to the, a faithful creator, he's reminding us, he made everything to point to his glory and honor. He created us as Christians. We are designed as we have been. We've made a commitment to him. We've been baptized into Christ. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We are designed to bring him glory and honor. Remember the creator. When we entrust our souls to him, even though it's hard, he still puts that caveat while doing good. Don't stop doing good. Keep being the faithful Christians you're called to be. You know what, what we feel like doing when life gets so hard? We don't want to go around other people sometimes. We don't, we don't want to get out, especially during this, <laughs> during this plague. We don't want to get out. We don't, going through our own junk, I don't want to, I don't want to go. And I, sometimes I, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but sometimes I don't want to go to church. I don't feel it. I'm not feeling it. As you entrust things to the Creator, keep doing good. As hard as it is, don't stop doing good. We are designed to bring Him glory and honor, so don't stop doing good. Even when the devil has convinced you that you need to just take a break from doing good, don't stop doing good. I love that caveat. Go back to this verse 13. I want to remind you, but, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. When you are suffering for Christ's sake and you continue to represent, you can rejoice because you know that you're going to bring Him glory and honor. Theodore Roosevelt said this, Perhaps there is no more important component of character than steadfast resolution. That's what you have to have when you don't feel it, but you still do it. Because you know it brings glory and honor to God that you continue. Call to Suffering, Part 2, title of the message today, Steadfastness Begets Steadfastness. Before I go through the bullet points, I want to remind you, wait a minute, anybody here, raise your hand if you are a an NFL football fan of another team other than the Seahawks. If that's your, your favorite team is another team other than the Seahawks, raise your hand high. Shame on you. Shame on you. I'm just joking. Uh, anybody Seahawks fans, raise your hands high. We got those here too. Okay, good. I've got multiple teams. I, I'll tell you. I haven't told you. I'll give it to you. My favorite team is the Seattle Seahawks, second favorite team. I know some of you don't care. It's okay. I'm, I'm the one that gets to talk right now. So um, the second favorite team is New Orleans Saints. Third favorite team is Dallas Cowboys. Sorry, it really is. And fourth favorite team is anybody playing Pittsburgh. And the fifth team is anybody playing Green Bay. Sorry, I, I like Aaron Rodgers. I like the whole concept of Green Bay. I just don't like them. But anyway, so... Um, I love the individuals if I know them, I'm sure, but I don't like the team. Anyway, so remember Marshawn, Marshawn Lynch? Remember how he played? There are some other players that are similar. I don't know if you have measured um, his success that he had 
the way the NFL did. But the way it works is they want to measure the success of a, of a running back based on yards gained after people get their hands on them. Now, that's a good running back. When you got people trying to tackle that guy and he keeps his legs moving. You remember that about Marshawn Lynch? He would move his legs sideways, backwards, forwards. Didn't matter. He's going to keep going to that end zone. That's where he's headed. Didn't matter how many people keep trying to take him down. He just kept going and kept going and kept going. And maybe you have a different team that's a favorite team that's not Seahawks, and you have a running back that stands out in your mind. Remember, those are the best. Those are the ones. And here's the thing that, that it, you typically don't see. You don't typically see a running back that is so tenacious, that's so good at this steadfast thing. You, you don't typically see a running back doing that on a team that is the worst in the NFL. It's not, you don't, who is the Cleveland Browns uh, running back? I mean, you just don't think about that sort of thing because they're not doing anything. What happens is steadfastness begets steadfastness. You got somebody that's got this energy that is just unstoppable. It's contagious. And if you can be that kind of person that represents Christ in such a way that no matter what comes at you, you keep living for him. You know what happens? Is other people in your church get a hold of that. Other people in your family are inspired by that. They see Jesus in you, a never-quit attitude, and steadfastness begets steadfastness. And Peter is trying He's trying to pour this into us by his letters. God's inspired him to do this. There's five things that we've got from our text today, so let's look at this quickly. First, hard times will come. Matter of fact, don't expect anything less, Christians. Second, persecution will happen. If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, that's going to happen to you. Third, in your struggles, keep faithful. Fourth, Aim to suffer in righteousness, not in sinfulness. Sinfulness, you deserve to suffer. You deserve to have consequences. All of that, we're going to talk more about that as the weeks unfold. But aim to suffer in righteousness, living for God to please Him. Fifth, let your attitude reproduce tenaciousness. That's the way it works. If you can be a Christian like a successful running back, no matter how often the devil tries to get a hold of you and stop you, you keep going. And you keep going. However you can, you keep those wheels going to please Jesus, and you can motivate the whole team to success. More importantly, our coach is pleased. Theodore Roosevelt said this. Delayed answers... Actually, no, he didn't. I, <laughs> you, I told you you're going to see more errors. That's not Theodore Roosevelt. If you're taking notes, this is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I simply did not um, type it right. There you go. This is not Theodore Roosevelt. Those of you in your cars, you saw nothing. <laughs> Charles Haddon Spurgeon said... Delayed answers to prayer are not only trials of faith. They also give us opportunities to honor God through our steadfast confidence in Him, even when facing the apparent denial of our request. Let's pray. God, 
we've got some empty chairs here. And it hurts. Lord, there are times when we've not really been in the game. You handed us the ball and we didn't run like you wanted us to. Lord, help us because we need it. We ask that you would send people to fill the empty chairs. Prepare us to receive them. Lord, give us that steadfast spirit that you've demonstrated by means of the cross. Show us to be more like Jesus. God, may others see Jesus in us and be moved. Lord, instill within us tenacity that is contagious. Keep our spirits up. Help us to deflect the attacks of the evil one. Help us to keep a confidence when we're entrusted with one. Help us to adjust our attitudes when we need to. Lord, we do want to show you that we love you. Forgive us when we don't. In Jesus' name, amen.